Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Jody Walkerling. Decades of experience in the corporate world have shown her that resiliency is the key feature of every enduringly successful individual and every organizational culture that is productive and collaborative over the long term. The modern workplace is filled with constant challenges and competing priorities, both for the business at large and for the individuals within the business. And resilience is a key component of effectively navigating these challenges. Jody is passionate about assisting businesses to build an enduring, resilient culture at the whole culture level, the various levels of leadership within the business, and also at the individual level, so that the business as a whole and the individuals within the business can experience the enormous benefits of an enduring, resilient culture. In the episode, Jody shares why personal resilience is a must if you want to combat stress and burnout, three levels we all need to focus on to become more resilient, what you can do if your boss or company causes you tons of stress, and more. Before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, which is Dry Farm Wines. If you're a wine lover like me, but haven't made the switch to natural wines, listen up, because natural wines are going to change your life. You see, alcohol manufacturers aren't required to post ingredients or nutrition facts on their bottles, which is how they're able to sneak in sugar and other additives. Fortunately, Dry Farm Wines has come to the rescue. Their natural wines are lab-tested to ensure they're sugar-free, lower in sulfites and alcohol, and free from all industrial additives. Since I've grown accustomed to natural wines, even the most expensive conventional ones give me headaches and just make me feel overall kind of gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines, you're going to be immediately hooked by the flavor and quality of their products, as well as their top-notch customer service. To get a bottle of Dry Farm Wines for just a penny, Visit dryfarmwines.com slash thehealthinvestment or click through the link in the show notes. And one more thing, if you've been on a weight loss roller coaster for years, trying everything from juice cleanses to shakes to fat burning teas, you name it, but nothing has worked, I'm so happy we're connecting. Outside of hosting this podcast, I help people lose weight for the last time through sustainable habit changes and mindset shifts. Unlike diets, apps, and programs that suck the joy out of life, I help you make simple, gradual tweaks to nutrition, lifestyle, and outlook so you can drop those pesky pounds for good without giving up carbs, counting every calorie, drinking gross juices, or other unfun nonsense. If you're ready to cross lose weight off your to-do list, feel completely in control around food, and start showing up as the trimmest, healthiest, most confident, most energized version of yourself, learn more about my programs at thehealthinvestment.com. And please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. I always love hearing from you. All right, it's time to hear from Jody. Enjoy.
I'm Brooke Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Jody. Thank you so much for joining me all the way from Australia on the Health Investment Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on, Brooke. I was mentioning, I think you might be the third guest from Australia now, so it's very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) All the other way around the world. Yes, exactly. I know. It's always crazy to me that it's the next day for you and evening here, but very exciting. And someday we'll get to Australia. I haven't been yet, but I've heard it's an awesome, awesome place. So post-COVID, that's on the travel list. Very good. I'd love to know, we're going to be talking about resilience today. How did you become interested in helping people become more resilient? Absolutely. It primarily came out of my own original challenges. So I've spent most of my working life in the corporate world and to a large extent in positions of um, authority and responsibility and high levels of, of stress. Now, I was able to do those positions and I think Uh, I think to do them well, but it often came at a personal cost to me. So I pretty much for most of my working life lived in a state of stress and it kind of went up and down as as different things happened. But a few years back, I reached a point of, I think I was so, so close to burnout um, and uh, it was almost one of, I call them light bulb moments or aha moments where I went, there has to be something better than this. And it almost started me on a on a personal quest um, to find, okay, why is this happening? What are the patterns? What are my triggers? What can I do about it? So it started very much from my own challenges and that almost morphed into, um, after doing several courses around this, morphed into helping others and that almost morphed into helping um, businesses and and business culture, which often is a cause of of stress for a lot of people. So, yeah, that's how it all developed. It developed very much from a um, personal space originally. Hmm. I I noticed when you were talking about resilience, you mentioned the terms stress and burnout. Are all three inextricably related? Um, There's subtle differences between them, but yes, they are very much related. Yes. What, so then what does resilience mean? Is it just the ability to not feel as stressed or not burn, burn out as much? Yep. Um, So I look at resilience on two levels. So the first level is being able to, as much as possible, stay in a state of calm, um, even when you're faced with, with stresses around you. Um, now, there's various things that you can do in your life to, to help you to obtain and, and retain that state. But the other side of it is we're all human and we all have times where our um, 
the stresses in our life actually do result in us feeling stressed and having our resilience challenged. Um, the second side of resilience is when that happens, spotting it in ourselves as quickly as we possibly can and bringing ourselves back to that state of calm and balance um, as quickly as possible because the reality is there's very few people live their whole life in a state of zen. Um, mm. You kind of need to have both, sort of as much as possible stay calm, but then also if you if you do have your resilience tested and you are feeling stressed, catch it and bring yourself back to calm as quickly as possible. And there's ways to do that. Mm. So when you're more resilient as a person, you are able to feel less stressed and be less likely to burn out? Correct, yes. Okay. So, so burnout comes... Um, but burnout's like a state of emotional overload. Um, so it's basically you often find it when there's been either extreme levels of stress or stress that has been consistent over a long period of time or a combination of um, where you get to the stage there's so much overload in your system that you are you almost emotionally kind of... Um, yeah, great. It's an emotional breakdown sort of stage. Now, don't don't put a psychological term on that, please, and call it an emotional breakdown. But it, it is almost like a overwhelm, emotional um, overload stage. Mm. Right. Okay. Happening after you said kind of an extreme stressor or maybe chronic stress. Yep. Okay. And then, how would somebody know if they're currently? resilient is there kind of traits that these people possess it's a it's a really interesting question um because it is very individual um so i guess the, the first thing is to go back to that definition of resilience are they able to stay in states of of calm when things are going on so so for example i'm sure a lot of your listeners are parents so when the kids are fighting or your two-year-old's having a tantrum or or um things like at work where where things are, are going wrong and you're having to juggle things are you able a lot of the time to stay in that state of calm it's like calm in the storm so that's the first thing um and you can also look because some people are able to do that on the surface or in the moment but then they also have things that that show as their resilience being tested in terms of their lifestyle. So for an example would be things like um, sleep being disturbed because mm. if people are feeling stressed, often the sleep's affected. Um, or it could be things like um, are they going to comfort things to almost soothe themselves to the point where it's not healthy? So comfort things, I mean things like um maybe online gaming, maybe food, maybe alcohol. Um, there can be all sorts of things that almost like soothe us in the moment but long-term really aren't that good for us in, in extreme. Um, yeah, and you can look at things like how do I deal with difficult situations? Do I deal with um, conflict okay? Um, and it, it, the thing is it is a very individual thing. It 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 shows differently in different people, but I guess it comes down to a real honest assessment. Do I feel calm? Do I feel content? Do I feel in control? Do I feel that I'm living my life the way that I want to? Hmm. Um, 
And that covers other things other than resilience, but that's def- resilience is definitely part of it. I guess I've always kind of looked at some people as just being calmer and maybe assuming they were born that way. I don't think I've ever used the word resilient. I've more kind of thought of it the way you've been talking of being kind of level-headed or easygoing. So is it something you're born with or is this a skill we can grow over time? It's, it's such a good question. Um I mean, we don't know whether it's something that people are born with or it's an innate trait. We really don't know. But I think um, my gut says I don't think it's something that most people are naturally born with. It's something that they almost have to to learn. Um, and often it's learning through dealing with those challenges, um, with those challenges in life. So... I, I think it's in different degrees in different people. But to answer your second question, yes, it is definitely something that we can grow and something that we can learn um, and something we can consciously develop. And that's what a lot of my work is, is helping people in in actually how do I build um, my own resilience. And, yeah, but to, to make a point on that, I think that the converse is is also true there are things that happen to us so we may be more resilient as a small child sometimes things happen to us that um, cause us to make decisions about ourselves and, and the world that mean that we are more susceptible to stresses on certain things so it's almost the opposite of something are we born with it's like we're born we're born with more resilience something happens and it, it causes issues down the track so what I mean by that an example would be things like um, just say there was some sort of something happened in your childhood where you felt that if you weren't perfect, it wasn't good enough. Now, a decision like that, and it's a very common thing that people have and they may or may not be aware of it, um, that to a certain extent can add a lot of stress on our life because if we're expecting to be perfect all the time and not being perfect causes us stress, then it's almost like we're setting ourselves up to be stressed. Does that make since mm-hmm. yeah mm. so it seems a lot of kind of the nature versus nurture argument uh, parents can have a lot to do then maybe with building resilient children and the way they kind of model actions for them or handle different situations absolutely yeah absolutely. what are some ways parents could help build resilience in children well, the first thing is is modelling, and this it's funny. It's a good parallel with with leaders in organisations as well. Um, the leader sets the tone, and in a household, the parent is the leader. So, the first step always is for that parent or that leader to work on their own challenges and work on their own resilience in order to set the tone for the other people in the household, the team, the group, whatever. So, that's definitely the first thing is modelling. Um, and you you create that modelling by working on yourself and working on your own self-development. I'm a huge fan of that. Um, and, and the other thing too is when things like a child's resilience is being tested, stay calm yourself, get down to their level and talk to them. Um, and, and rather than reacting from that emotional place, you're almost like the, um, the anchor um and that reliable 
comfort and reassurance and guidance person through the storm, if that makes sense. And leader, leadership, it's a big, I mean, I, I, I work primarily in organisations rather than parenting, but I see such a parallel. Being a parent myself, you do definitely see the parallels. Yeah, I'm sure. You mentioned um, with raising kids, this idea, if you're raised to think that you have to be perfect, that can cause some stressors in your life or whatever. So I was just thinking, I'm not a parent yet, but I've heard this idea of parents going through conversations with kids of even nightly or at least weekly of how have you failed recently and what did you learn from it? Is it conversations like that where you teach kids to expect to have challenges and failures and that that's not abnormal and that it's okay and it's not it's not right to be perfect nobody's perfect absolutely um yeah i mean i haven't heard people doing that kind of like as a daily thing but the reality is you're absolutely right failure is part of life and the the irony is is some of our biggest failures and setbacks could be some of our biggest learnings mm. so um Definitely an important thing to sit down and, and teach your kids and communicate to them. Absolutely. What are some of the specific exercises we can do, whether we're the leader of a company or of a family or even just wanting to work on ourselves to become more resilient? Um, so if you're talking in terms of working on yourself, I work with people on three levels. So basically the first level is if you are feeling stressed, um, that stress response has a lot of physiological elements to it. There's things that happen physiologically when we're feeling stressed. Um, there are processes that you can do that basically go straight to that physiological response to reset yourself back to calm. So um, that's the first level is is have almost in your toolkit some of those exercises that, that bring yourself back to calm when you're feeling stressed. The second level is there are certain lifestyle and mindset things that can make an enormous difference to your stress. Now, I mentioned obviously sleep earlier. Sleep's a big one because if you're feeling stressed, normally your sleep's affected. And if your sleep is not great, often you feel stresses a lot more your capability of, of, of um, dealing with them's less. So, and there's so many others like um, sleep, diet, exercise, um, work-life balance, mindfulness, um, meditation, oh gosh, connections. There, there's so many of them that you can um, make an enormous difference to how you handle the stresses in your life by working on, on these various things mindset fits into that second level as well so um, perfectionism is a good thing is how do you actually when you when something isn't perfect how do you um what's your mindset around it is that of like okay um is it okay to say to someone up front listen um i know you need this now i haven't had the time to work on it um properly but hey this is a working process um happy to, to tweak it if you if you want me to so that's basically saying listen this isn't perfect but please um have a look at it and let me know and and to I mean that's just one example but there's so many mindset things can make an enormous difference to um how you deal with the stresses in your life and the third level I hinted on before in terms of the perfectionism is most people who are affected by stress regularly and I was definitely one of these 
there are things that often happen early in our life, like the first seven years of our life, that um, can almost work against us in terms of dealing with stresses later on. So I find people who regularly are affected by stress, there's underlying beliefs, decisions, values, um, perspectives that were created unconsciously and we, we they stay unconscious for most people in adulthood that happen very early in life. Um, so a lot of the stuff that when I'm working with people coaching one-on-one, that's often where we spend a lot of our time is working on those core things. And once you address them even just seeing them is is half the you're halfway there but seeing them addressing them and basically working on them so they're no longer this subconscious thing that almost works against you makes an enormous difference so yeah that's kind of that's a very long answer but yeah I work with people in building resilience on those three levels and I almost find that you need the three levels for most people where stress is chronic in order to make a difference for people who are it's not a chronic kind of thing um often level one and two are kind of enough Mm. What are some of the most common subconscious messages people have from childhood that lead to chronic stress? Ooh, um, perfectionism is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, the handing over your opinion of yourself to other people is another big one, um, where how I view myself is determined by how other people view me, which you're almost setting yourself up for for stress with that one. Um, there's actually also a one saying that I I have to have this huge level of stress in order to be performing at my best. That's one I see mm. in a lot of people. So they almost feel that if I'm not in this state of stress, I'm not, that means I need the stress in order to perform well. Um, so they're almost creating it by default. Mm. Um and people seeing that there is no other option. So that's just a couple, but there's there's lots there's lots of them. Yeah, I could imagine that if I know we have all these kind of stories that we've seen from parents and relatives and friends and coworkers even about money and I'm sure about stress and busyness, but I've heard that before for sure if you've maybe seen modeled for you or if you've been taught that you have to be kind of busy and stressed to be successful. Yep. Maybe that's some, like a self-fulfilling prophecy of I have yep. to kind of always appear at least to be busy and stressed if I want people to think I'm successful. And then I'm sure that kind of overflows onto really believing so much about what other people think about you for your own self-worth. I'm sure it's all just interconnected. Oh, yes. Um, This is what I love working with people because we're fascinating, complicated creatures. So, yes, it is all interconnected and it's it's quite individual in terms of how it shows up. What about you on the first level when you were talking about how stress affects us physiologically and you were saying there are some things we can do to kind of calm our body? What are some of the things you recommend for that? Yep. So probably the most – so none of these work for everybody. Um, so it's a case of, of trying different ones and seeing what works for you. The one that probably works for more people than any of them um, is the deep belly breathing. So that's where you sit quietly and sit upright and breathe basically from the bottom of your lungs. And you can tell you're doing 
that breathing from the bottom of your lungs because your belly goes, it's what's called belly breathing, your belly goes in and out as you breathe and your shoulders stay down. As soon as your shoulders go up, you're breathing from the top of your lungs. Mm. So, um, and you breathe in a very, very slow pattern. So I recommend there's different patterns that people recommend, but the one I find works for people is breathe slowly in for four, slowly out for six. And what that does physiologically is resets that stress response. And you only need to do it for a couple of minutes and for most people will bring them back to, to calm. Some people get a bit freaked out by the controlled breathing, so that's fine. They try something else. Um, another one, this is probably my favourite one and gets the best reactions from, from people and, and it works if you're surrounded by people who you don't want to know that you're doing something to calm yourself down. So it's probably the only one that you can't visually see somebody doing it. Um, is one of the physiological reactions when you are stressed is that your mouth dries up. So most people can relate to that. If you talk about um, people who are nervous about public speaking, they will almost always say their mouth dries up just before they go on stage or or have the the public speaking. It is a normal stress reaction. Um, So you can trick your physiology by stopping yourself swallowing, um, letting your mouth fill up with saliva and swelling it around. So you're basically telling your body, I'm not in a life or death situation. Everything is okay and it brings you back to calm. And it also works in a mindfulness thing too because mindfulness helps with this calm as well. You're basically becoming mindful of what's going on in your mouth and and directing your attention to that rather than the stress. So that one I love because um, if you're in a meeting or in some way where you're surrounded by people, it's one of the few that you can do without anybody knowing you're doing it. Mm. The only thing, if you have to speak at that moment you're doing it, obviously it doesn't work. But other than that, no one's going to know. That could be a little awkward, but <laughs> hopefully nobody calls on you for a minute. Mm. The second level you were talking about uh, kind of struck home with me because I work with clients one-on-one, really kind of dialing in their nutrition and lifestyle habits. And I hear from clients a lot when they're particularly stressed out that they, like you said, aren't sleeping or they're going to bed much later or they are just grabbing fast food or they're not making time for exercise or movement of any kind. So that level seems kind of like a catch-22 because when you're stressed, all of those things help you but they're also the things we tend to neglect at the times we're most stressed. Do you see that happening a lot? hundred percent, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so a lot of it is is you can empower yourself a lot even just by being aware of exactly what you just said, um, that it's almost like when we're stressed we go into this default stuff that makes it worse mm-hmm. and, and we almost go into the – um, I'll do something to make myself feel better in the moment, but long term it has the effect. So, example things like um, you could get out and go for a walk, or you could go. No, I'm exhausted. I want to sit and watch Netflix. Mm. Um, yeah, there, there's so many choices that in the moment, and all of these things. I'm not. I'm not um, saying they're bad a hundred percent, but when it's it's about the amount and the balance. Um, and yes. You're absolutely right. I mean, the, the three cores are, are diet, exercise, and sleep that, right. um, yeah, make an enormous difference. 
I think you're so correct in what I've seen of just identifying I'm really stressed right now. So my natural instinct is going to be to grab a glass of wine and sit on the couch, but just knowing or speaking aloud, even, you know, I'm stressed, but I need to go outside for 10 minutes, you know, even if it's just a 10 minute walk or get to bed 30 minutes early or next week's going to be particularly awful at work. So if I just prep three things on Sunday that I can kind of have on hand to grab quickly, I think it's just the awareness and just knowing how much those tiny little choices can matter in the broad spectrum. Absolutely. Totally agree. I know you say that we don't have to accept stress as a way of life and that there's a better option. What do you mean by that? Have you already tackled that? Or what does that mean? We don't have to accept stress. That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) What I mean by that is um, it has become so common and such a, a standard of the way we live our life. It's got to the point we don't even really realize that we are stressed um so I guess one of my real missions here is is to actually raise awareness that it doesn't actually have to be the way we live our life and it's really not a healthy way to live our life and often not even a productive way because things like when we're stressed our our functioning of our thinking part of our brain gets impaired so it's not productive it's not healthy it's not even a basis on which to make our best decisions and and yeah I'm in a real mission to actually raise awareness that yep there are always going to be stressors in our life things that um can cause us stress but we don't have to accept that living stressed is a normal way of being because it's yeah I see it so much it's so much that people just almost don't even see it as an issue until they get to a really bad point. Mm. Um, yeah. Prevention is much better than dealing with it when it gets to bad. Sorry, Brooke. Yeah, no, that's okay. I was just also thinking, what if somebody is hearing all this and they're thinking, this all sounds great, but you don't understand my boss or my company culture it's just the most stressful work environment ever. And I, it's out of my control because it's the people around me and the projects and the no boundaries with, I don't know, I've heard clients say their bosses are texting them at midnight or emailing at one in the morning. What do you say to somebody about that? Do you say essentially you have to find a new job or what can you do about the company culture? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, that we, I guess part of it is realising that we always have a choice. Mm. Now that choice could be, as you said, going this isn't working for me and looking for somewhere else. That is one choice. Um, there can also be a choice of, of and, and this is very individual and you know your environment and whether it's going to work in this environment or not, but sit down and have um, a chat with your boss. So the example you just said of your boss emailing you at 12 o'clock um it may be that they work ridiculous hours so they just assume that everybody else does and that that's absolutely normal is maybe maybe an option is to sit down with with your boss and go um listen I kind of in order to perform at my best so you always talk about how it's going to actually help the organization in order to perform at my best I need 
the balance between time off and time on. So could I please ask that you don't text me after 7 o'clock at night? Now, some bosses would get very angry at that. Some would go, oh, listen, I'm really sorry. I didn't realise. How about maybe they say something like, hey, but if if I send you something while I'm thinking of it after 7 o'clock at night, that's fine. It's absolutely fine not to respond if you can do it when you start work the next mm. morning. That may be their response. If, if you frame it in terms of why this is best in terms of the, the organisation, in terms of your productivity, that can make a difference. Um, often with some people, if, if they make a conscious choice of going, um, okay, I'm in this job, it's not ideal, but I'm doing it for X, Y and Z, that is still a choice that you're acknowledging to yourself I am doing it for X, Y and Z and that alone can actually make dealing with it a little bit easier. Now, Mm. I know that probably sounds like oversimplifying it but for example would be um, just say, I mean, parents are, are, are probably in this position more than other people because they've got people who rely on them and they may well say listen um, at the moment I need this job because it pays the income that I need to support my family that is my choice um, and acknowledge that that's your choice and you're dealing with the situation in order to wait it out until circumstances change so whether that's mm-hmm. a, new, a new boss a new job a new financial situation for yourself whatever so it is a really tricky one um but yeah i i i think it would be an individual thing of of can i talk to my boss do, what influence do i have on this organization um and what influence do i have on my own mindset or situation right so kind of controlling the things you can control and maybe trying to have conversations, seeing if you can get those things under control. But if you can't, taking ownership of, I choose this choice at this moment and yep. it doesn't have to be forever. But I think that can be so empowering of not something is being done to me or I have no choice, but just like you said, these are all the reasons why I'm choosing this right now. It's not ideal but that can that can feel better than just feeling completely helpless. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. Right. I'm wondering, though, when you're interviewing at a company, is there any type, I know interviewers always say at the end, do you have any questions for us? <laughs> Are there any kind of sneaky questions you can ask to sort of highlight if the company culture is going to be awful? Yep, that's such a good question, Brooke. Um, I would look at things that are almost like markers of a culture that may be problematic. So, for example, a lot of organisations these days talk about their organisational purpose Um, and it's something that I think is extremely useful for getting your whole organisation on the same page with a shared vision. Now, I've looked at various um, purpose statements and some of them... um, like I'll say, for example, there, there's, a, there's a local supermarket chain here and I looked at theirs and it was about providing afford, affordable f- food or, or I was, oh gosh, I'm, I'm going to misquote it, but it was it was basically a, yeah, we, we provide food to the community. It's like, okay, that makes me feel warm and fuzzy. No. Um, <laughs> sorry. 
But there's other ones that or, that are very inspiring. So I think it's actually a real, um, it, it's something that, that most businesses would like to be asked about the, the purpose and you can tell a lot about the organisation by the purpose. So as an example of a good one, I, um, I, I'll, I'll read it out word for word because I searched it on the, the net um before this. So Virgin's purpose um, is to change business for good um, and it is the very reason we exist. It is the lens through which we make all of our decisions. Our values are what keeps our people, products and partners on the right path to achieve our purpose while providing incredible experiences. Now I don't know about you or your listeners but to me that's inspiring. so I would definitely start with asking about the organisational purpose because they'll like being asked that and it is actually really quite telling of the, of the culture. Um, yeah, and I think there, there's other things too. You can So you can ask things about what's the what's the focus of the business. So, so when you look at what's the most important things in the business, um, what is it? So they're not going to get upset by being asked that. So it could be customers, it could be staff, it could be profit, it could be shareholder return. Um, that will tell you all that answer will tell you a lot as well. So, yeah, and, and also things like what are, what are their um, staff development and their staff um, support programs, mm. all things yeah. that they're not going to get upset being asked, but they're really quite telling. Right. As you were talking earlier about the perfectionism one, I was thinking about, I think it's Google, maybe it's Apple. It's one of the big tech companies. I'm pretty sure it's Google, but I I know they really pride themselves on workers failing and being upfront about failure because they know that so much amazingness can come from what people thought were failures initially. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's an interesting idea too. I know my husband's company one of their kind of core tenets is always learning and they're really interested in people sharing what they've been learning. And it's not this idea that you have to know everything up front. It's actually something they pride themselves on of let's all learn together and learn more. So I'm sure you can kind of pinpoint stuff like that. Like you said, in the company's mission or purpose or yep. Asking some questions. I mean, you have to be kind of creative about it. I think probably you, you don't want to just say, how do you treat everybody? Are you terrible or great? You know? Yeah. I know you also use the term psychological safety in relation to business culture. What does that mean? Well, it's interesting. I think it ties in with what you were just talking about um, because one of the main like original original organisations that really promoted psychological safety was Google. So I mm. wouldn't be surprised if if it was Google with, with what you were just saying. Uh, yeah, so, I think so, it is, yeah. Yeah. So um, basically psychological safety ties in with what you're saying. It's, it's an environment where people feel safe to try new things um, and possibly fail or possibly not be great at it to start with. Um to be innovative and to to question the status quo um, and and be feel safe to voice their opinion, even if the the opinion disagrees with either the majority or the opinion of the, the their leader or the key leader in the organization. So um, Google did a, a 
a survey on this and basically said their highest performing teams, the consistent thing that they found through all of their highest performing teams was psychological safety Hmm. Um, because it it builds an environment of collaboration, innovation, development. Yeah. It it sounds so obvious, but, um, yeah, most it's a challenge for most organisations. Yeah. And maybe people are identifying I'm on a team where I feel that way, but maybe in the larger organisation I don't. Uh, So, yeah, that's an interesting idea, and especially if you are running a business to kind of try to incorporate that into the framework Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The more we talk, I definitely do think it was Google because I think they also do, they allow for tinkering, I think they call it, where they give you time to just kind of figure things out if you're a coder or just to tinker basically. And that kind of builds into that too. Like what can you create on your own? And we're, we're kind of raising everyone up here to be creators and awesome it's not just the higher ups or whatever Mm. I think you're right that it is them and from memory um I think they actually allocate time for it so I think it's like 20 percent of your working time Mm. now don't quote me on that please don't quote me but I think you're absolutely right then I know a, a sort of other side to places like Google is when they provide all of the amenities and the food I've heard that that can sometimes be a bad thing in terms of company culture because they expect you to stay on the campus forever and never go home for dinner because they're providing every single meal. Have you come in contact with that at all in terms of company culture? Maybe the perks aren't as great as they seem? Um, it's interesting. It's not one that I've come across a lot. Um, yeah. But... I imagine that that it would possibly be an issue. It's almost like they 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 may expect you to that to be your life, which yeah. is not healthy. <laughs> it's not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that for sure from and I think it also all these things you said they're so individual or I think at a lot of these larger companies it's so dependent on the team you're on and kind of the culture of the smaller team. Um so trick is finding a good team, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful for everything you've shared today. The final question I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Listen, I love that you asked this of all of your guests because it's so important. I would say um, treat yourself as an absolute priority. So many of us in life treat everybody else as the priority and we, we put ourselves last. Mm-hmm. So you need to treat yourself as a priority with your well-being, your health, um, your own needs and wants um, and what's important to you. So I, 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 there's a, um, a phrase out there of you can't pour from an empty cup mm-hmm. um, and I think that is really apt that you need to you can only really give to others or to your work to your full extent if you're in a really good, healthy, mental and physical state yourself. Right. So you need to fill your own cup first. I think it goes to the terminology, fill your own cup first and then you you help others from, from the overfill and the saucer. Um, yeah, you need to treat, absolutely need to treat yourself as a priority. I love that. 
where can listeners follow and find you? Um, so probably the best two places are my website and LinkedIn. So my website is Um and LinkedIn, if you just search my name on LinkedIn, you'll, you'll find me there. And there's you can obviously reach out to me via LinkedIn Messenger or on my website if you if you want to have um, a chat, there's there's options there for registering um, for a complimentary. Um, assessment so or, or to raise a question so more than happy to for you to reach out there with your permission to Brooke I just mentioned quickly I've got um, a book coming out um, I've just been told we're, we're for filming this on the 10th of or, or recording this on the 10th of September I think their books are about a week or two away oh, um, wow yeah so very soon um so basically that is designed for um, organisational leaders like your C-suite, your CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, all those sort of people um, around issues that regularly occur in organisational cultures. Awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, when so this the- comes out, I believe this will come out sometime in October, so your book will be out. What is your book called? Um, World Class Leadership. Awesome. So that'll probably be on your website or will it be on Amazon? Yeah, it won't be on Amazon. Um, oh, okay. But, but it, if you go into my website, there's an option there for book um, and that'll give you information about it. Oh, great. I'm just thinking now if somebody's listening and they have a terrible boss, they could just casually gift this book <laughs> to their <laughs> boss. They, I heard you might enjoy this. <laughs> It's really subtle. I'm sure they wouldn't read into it at all. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for being here from across the world, Jody. It's been awesome talking to you. And I know my listeners will have gotten a lot from this conversation. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me on, Brooke. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.